Welcome to Real Estate Unscripted, where each week we connect no-nonsense, let's-get-it-done realtors and lenders from across the country who want to grow our businesses and stay motivated with timely topics and experts in our fields. I'm your host, Marjorie Adam. Let's get started. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Real Estate Unscripted. I'm super excited today to have Bo Blankenship with me. Bo, say hi. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. So Bo knows math. He is a certified financial planner. He is with Focus One Integrated Financial Plan, which is a very serious name, right? What you're doing clearly by your business name. But here's what we know. You've been a certified financial planner for 14 years in the business for more than 30 years. What I love is that you have a degree in accounting and a master's in tax accounting, which is just basically math, a lot of math. Right. And what's great about that is I think that you holistically can advise your clients, right? Because- if you think about when I send a client, a client comes to me and wants to invest or they want to do things. I say, you got to talk to your financial planner and your accountant, right? And because not all clients are one size, right? You could come to me and say, I want to buy five investment properties. My, of course, instinct is go, sweet, let's go. But is that right for your financial picture, right? And that's why the experts need to team up. Right. I agree. So what got you into kind of financial, like you, you always liked math or you always thought you'd be an accountant or how did you end up there? Yeah, exactly. I would tell you, I was always the numbers person, you know, initially I thought about computer science, but I realized I didn't like that and got into accounting. And uh, actually I worked for a big eight accounting firm and really did not like the corporate culture. Yeah. I worked for them for three years. And at that point I realized I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. I would work at a big eight accounting firm. And so that's what drove me into financial planning. And I, I got into it. I loved it. And then circled back to the tax planning because I realized early on that you can't be an effective financial planner and not understand tax planning. As logical as that seems, when we are in competition, almost no financial planners know the tax side of things. In fact, we've got to the point now we have our own tax practice. We do tax returns for the majority of our clients. They really see that as a big positive, that we can do both and that we integrated financial planning. It's integrated, it's tax planning and the investment side together. So yeah, that's what's that's excellent. And you're in Roanoke, Virginia. So you're only a couple hours from me, but that's that's fantastic. What geographic areas do you serve? Well, that's interesting too. I guess just because of the referrals, but I have clients in California. I have clients in several clients in Washington State, Ohio, Florida. I mean, all over the country. I, I think that what's happened now, and it, it actually probably has happened for you, Marjorie, for real estate businesses, they have a relationship with you and they trust you. And for most people, like I tell you, one thing that's happened is clients will move to where their grandchildren are, right? Correct. They will move where the grandchildren yes. are. And so, so they realized, hey, look, I, I mean, I'm not going to be here forever. And if my, if my kids have grandkids and let's say North Carolina, I'll move there. And then if they move to Florida, I'm probably going to move there. Correct. So the idea that I'm going to have a local financial planner is just silly because I'm not going to be in the same spot. So I just need somebody that I can trust. Yeah. Uh, and so, so we're all over the country, literally all over the country. Well, that's fantastic. That's important for people listening because people listening are also all over the country right now. Right. So that's right. excellent. So I love that about you. And that's super key. So mm -hmm. let's, so we're, we're here to talk today about the, we're going to get into the economy. Oh, fun. Right. 
That's where a lot of people are like, we're guys, whoever's listening, I know, but we're going to keep it kind of simple. And the things that frankly, that the lenders and realtors listening need to be able to convey to the clients and understand about why the current environment is what it is. So we're going to talk about how frustrating it is, but also how it makes no sense. So if we start with the economy today, let's look at unemployment first, which the whole way the Fed and the government looks at it makes no sense to me. So let's talk a little bit about unemployment today. Yeah, the, you know, the unemployment rate obviously is at historical lows. I just looked this week, we have about 10 million job openings. Supposedly it went down a few hundred thousand this month, but it's still, that's a huge number. The Federal Reserve seems to be you know, hell bent on driving that unemployment number higher, but it's hard to see how they're going to be able to do that without crashing the economy. And that's really the biggest fear out there is the Federal Reserve crashing the economy. And and also, you and I talked about this earlier, is that if the Fed had been consistent in their messaging, maybe we could predict what the future looks like, but they haven't been. In fact, one of the things that I, I told you earlier was that for the last year, the Federal Reserve has said, hey, we're going to be data dependent. We're going to look at see the data. And, and based on data, that's going to be what drives our, whether we raise interest rates. And then just a few weeks ago, they came out with this 18-month plan of how they're going to raise <laughs> rates. And as I said to you, how do you lay out that plan when you don't know what the data is going to look like over the next 18 months? So they've really been a wrench in planning for everything, but certainly the economy. So just because this sounds crazy to me, help me understand. So to me, in theory, unemployment, we want it low, right? So so more people employed equals more, more ability to purchase and more stability in general, right? Like I would think we'd want that. So if we're trying to get unemployment higher, why, why does that make sense? Well, Theoretically, the idea is in a tight labor market, if I'm hiring, I will have to pay my employees more because of the tight labor market. Right. If I pay my employees more and I want to keep the same profit margin on my products, I've got to raise prices. Okay. Right. And it's a vicious cycle where that continues. And so if they can drive that unemployment rate higher, where wages come down a little bit, then prices okay. of goods. Yeah, because ultimately it makes, right, because you hear that and you're like, we're waiting for the employment. Oh, we have better employment than we wanted. And I'm like, what? That right. just seems so, so like incorrect and backwards. So we think about this, the overall economy strong, right? Which is in, ironically also part of the problem, right? We want infl- inflation to slow down. So the biggest thing that you and I talked about is since the Fed's been so aggressive, right? They've been super aggressive in raising rates, which in theory they needed to be. However, because their messaging and actions have been so inconsistent. And we talked about also, if if I raise the rate a quarter point today, I'm just picking a number, tomorrow the system hasn't changed. It could be five, three months from now, let's say, right. when, when that effect has happened. So the problem is these quick rate changes and plus you and I, and the whole, and think about the buying public, they're more confused about how that rate really affects you on not just on short-term cars and credit cards, but housing. So right. then you're forever going, oh my gosh, it just going up again. It went up again. And your thought is, what do I do? Right? So I think you're correct. The messaging is a problem, but the system of how and when they're doing it also makes it not that we could ever have a crystal ball, but 
you and I could both say, how long do we think that goes on? It could be six months. It could be 24 months. We don't know. Nobody knows. No, no. And when you look at the so-called experts, even the economists and the all the predictions, I mean, they're all over the place. Yeah. So you, you really, again, it's, it's just guesswork at this point. Well, because we talked about the experts, right? So when we talked about that, they, we, we've heard nothing but we're about to go into a recession. That has not happened. That unemployment rates are going to continue to go up. That hasn't happened. Earnings are going to plummet. That hasn't happened. So it's like, okay. So the, of course, everyone asked me too, how long are we here? Well, so we have got that, that side, right? We've got this unemployment side and then the inflation side, right? Where inflation needs to go. So let's talk about that. You, you and I talked about it's what, four and four and a half percent, let's say right now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the, they've just decided, right? There's no necessarily historical 2% need, but they wanted to go down to 2%. Right. That's, that's what Powell has said has been their target. And again, it's arbitrary. And again, going back, they haven't, uh, without the rates, with them having raised rates, they really still haven't allowed the rates to go through the system. Yeah. And and not just that, like I've heard this explained where we had all this stimulus money that went out to people. And the way it was explained, it was just like a snake eating an animal. And you just got to wait for the economy to digest all that money. You don't need to crash the economy. You just need to be patient and let it work its way through the yeah. system. And that seems like the last thing the Federal Reserve is, is patient. So, yeah. I mean, I guess there's a balance, right? We don't want to wait so long that we don't have time to like turn the ship, right? Like if we're heading right. for an iceberg, we don't want it to be like right in front of us, but that we also don't want it to be so far in behind, right? That we don't want to have so much time. So yeah, I mean, I think... Frustration. So we talked about, so two ways to fix inflation, right? One way, dampen demand, which is what they keep doing, right? They want to dampen demand, Mm -hmm. uh, potentially way too much, right? And then the second was to fix the supply side. Talk about that a little bit. Well, I mean, yeah, and that would be fixing the supply side would be making it easier. It, It could be reducing regulations. It could be making it easier to get products into the U.S. through trade negotiations or trade barriers that exist, bringing manufacturing back to the U.S., which they're doing at some level. And, and yeah, so those things, anything that would help the businesses get product and get people. One of the things that you and I didn't talk about earlier was the labor participation rate. So when they look at the unemployment rate, they're just looking at the people who are actively looking for jobs. I read an article a couple of months ago that said there are 14 states where you can get government assistance that's equal to the median income of that state. So if you're you're paying people the median income to stay home, then they're not going to work. And so one of the things that's making the labor market so tight is you do have people that could work but don't work because they can make other money. So how do you fix the how do you fix the supply? Well, how about reducing the government assistance, pushing people out to work, and now the, the labor participation rate goes up and then the labor market's not so tight. Yeah. So, so yeah, that, that's a way to fix the supply side. Well, there you go. So, I mean, those, so when we look at that, okay, so we know that one of the things we always talk about is rates are seven plus percent right now, right? Like, 
let's talk about other factors, right? So we we know the unemployment market, we know we know inflation, right? So we have some information on that, and then we couple all of that with a nationwide housing shortage. Right. A nationwide housing shortage. That is not news to anybody. Right. And there are many reasons for that. We have lack of new construction starts nationally. We've got the fact that the cost of housing has gone way up. We've got a lot of things that that have kind of slowed our market down. So but let's talk about like flip this a little bit. So realtors and lenders listening, all of this, this is important information for you guys to be able to talk about. But we know, right, if you're actively a realtor or a lender, you're pretty clear about what's happening, right? And so let's look at it. We went from a year ago, year and a half ago, let's say rates went from three to within not a long period of time, 7%. So that stalled a lot of people, but I think a lot of it was fear, right? They were scared. So it wasn't just... I can't buy. It was now, yes, now three to seven affects your ability to purchase for sure. But what it doesn't do is you could still buy. But I think there was a lot of fear and uncertainty, which I think remains, right? No one understands what's going on. So they're sort of like, I should wait this out. I'm going to say, Marjorie, I agree with you. I still think there's a level of fear because they keep calling for recession. Yep. And unless you're really uh, hunkered down and you have a lot of cash and you're in a really strong balance sheet position, I think there is still a lot of fear out there. Yeah. Uh, and I, I definitely think that's a factor. Is it the major factor? Probably not, but it's a factor, certainly. Well, I think I think it's, look, I don't know. And my neighbor says I should wait. And my mom said this, that I, I need to, but the right. problem is like waiting again. There is no one size fits all. Everyone should go move now. And there's no, right. nobody should move now. I think it's, it's always been personal yeah. situation. It has always been an, a familial need. I mean, and we look at it, look, one thing we talked about is the rates are now, let's say 7% just as an average, but we still got to live somewhere, right? So if I'm moving into Charlottesville, Virginia, where I live, I have to rent, which by the way, we didn't even talk about the rental market, which is super tight and very expensive. Yeah. So yeah. you're not just going to go rent a cheap apartment here. You're going to like... I have a graduated kid who's becoming a tattoo artist who's at home right now because the cheapest place to live would be $1,300 a month for like a, a decent one bedroom. That's right. not sustainable for someone just starting a career, right? Before you even pay anything else. So the rental market is high and a tough, and then the purchase market's tough, right? So yeah. there is that factor as well. And then look, we, we know rates will come down. I mean, that's a fact. So they are going to come down. I don't think, and I don't know, you can see if you agree with me, I, I ain't seeing 3%. I don't even know about four, no. but no, that's not coming. So, right. but it's not going to stay seven, right? So we know that rates will come down. I think, and fact is people say, I will refinance. Well, I bought my first house 28 years ago and I refinanced every house at least once. So it is a fact, right? I don't know anyone that in their home, if they've stayed long enough, hasn't refied. So right. they're going to refinance. So we can look at this, is a temporary cost, but it affects their home purchasing ability as well. So so let's talk, we're going to talk about a couple more struggles, but we're also going to talk about some opportunities because I think this is not gloom and doom. This is reality, right? And this is something for everyone to be aware of and pay attention to. And then we're going to talk about ways that the opportunities we face, right? So if you look at nationally, and I'm looking at the realtor end, the lender end as well, but look, Inventory, we talked about nationally inventories off, which means um, I don't have anywhere to buy, which means if I don't have to sell, even though I have all this equity, I still don't necessarily have anywhere to go. So I'm not going to put myself through that when I'm okay in my house. Right. The people that bought in the last two years for a 3% rate, and in many cases, 100,000 over asking because the, the market was so tough 
aren't moving next year, right? So we're going to have people sitting in their homes longer, which also means no moving up, moving down as often. We've had first-time homebuyers as well as all homebuyers competing with multiple cash offers, right? Which means that's been tougher. And then on our end in the real estate industry, we've got realtors that will travel five hours to go sell a home because think about it. I'm not having as much inventory or luck in my town. I'll go to the next town or many towns over. So that's affecting things. Also, I'm having a harder time selling. So I'm going to take less income, right? I'm going to charge less, which creates a feeding frenzy, right? So And on the mortgage end, cash buyers right now, a lot of people paying cash. So, okay, I don't need a mortgage. So those are all reality and how this hurts us, the real estate and lending industry. Now let's flip this. Let's flip the coin. Let's talk about some opportunities. You said one was obviously building a home. What are a lot of your, your financial clients are doing what right now? They are building. A lot of them are building. I, I think for most successful financial planning practices, a large percentage of their clients are near retirement age or at retirement. So a lot of my clients are selling the house where they live. And as you and I were talking earlier, they're moving to the grandkids. They want to be close to the grandkids. So a lot of times it's a, it's a sideways move. It's not up or down. It's just sideways. And so it's just from one area to another area. So there, there is a lot of that. And, and, and then they struggle to find a house just like everybody else, but they, but there is, it, it is creating volume and they have the financial means to do it. And so uh, I've had a lot of that. In fact, I've had a lot of it this year, 2025 houses of clients moving or, or retiring and moving. Like I had a Disney executive retire from California and move to Colorado. Yep. So, so you see that a lot. So let's think about that, like on your end, as well as our end, you're exactly right. Right now, a lot of the people that are moving have to move or want to move. So retirees, so right now you got a mass amount of first time buyers coming in, right? So we need to be able to connect with them. Retirees, absolutely same with us. A lot of my clients moving are, hey, Marjorie, the kids are now in Colorado. The kids are in Florida. The kids are wherever we're going to sell to be close to family. So that's a family need. But a point you made that's also important is it used to be, right, like, 20 years ago, whatever, I'm going to sell my 5,000 square, I'm making this up, right? Like my big $800,000 house, and I'm going to go down to a $1,500, $400,000 house, 1,500 square feet. Uh-uh. Now downsizing is often not space. It's, I mean, right. it is space in that five bedrooms upstairs. No, I want a first floor master, but this right. downsizing can still be a 4,000 square foot, lake foot home yes. <laughs> for a yeah. million dollars, right? Yes. And I would tell you that's what's happening. Well, in fact, none of my clients have literally downsized. They just went sideways. But like you said, the makeup of the house is a little different, but the cost and space is not that different. Yeah. So I think that's the thing too. When we think of retirees, a lot of times it used to be, oh, they're going to move into this little two bedroom. And I'm just telling you, that's not the case most of the time. Now, it doesn't mean nobody does. Right. right. Some do, but a lot of them still build a nice big home because they want room for family. The grandkids are coming. I need a workshop. So something to pay attention to. Then we have clients on your end as well that have a lot of equity, right? So they have a ton of equity and then they become these cash buyers that we're competing with, right? Because they can just say, hey, doesn't matter if the rate's three or 7%, I'm going to take my equity and I'm going to buy a house and that rate does not affect me as much. Right. It's exactly right. Yeah. And then again, with equity, they can make large down payments, right? So if housing has gotten more expensive, 
but I'm selling my $800,000 house. I only owe 400. Well, if I got to go up to that million plus house, I now have a great down payment, right? That's going to make that payment not be as different, right? So I've got some opportunities there. So Mm -hmm. for realtors and lenders right now, it's thinking about who's moving. We say this all the time, but the reality is in your market, who is moving, moving in, moving out. And really a lot of them are retiring, divorce, situational, must move. There is job change, whatever job transfer. Those are those people moving and those with equity, right? And then thinking about who might need to move and how we can help them. Yeah, I agree, Marjorie. And I would tell you that as a financial planner, if a comprehensive financial planner like we are, where we have this, I mean, we're involved in estate planning, we're involved in their tax return preparation, tax planning, and then their investment both as a realtor and as a mortgage broker, we would be a great contact to have. And I can tell you that the realtors that I use and the mortgage broker that I use, Tony Marklin, are just fantastic. And so I'm definitely referring people to him and to them. And it takes a load off of me that I know that the client's being taken care of and I don't have to worry about it. Let's talk about that because I think that's important too. We talk a lot on this podcast as well as in our business about our team of experts, right? And so- Basically, you've got your internal team, which for me would be anyone on my team internally, right? Like closing coordinators, anyone else, right? That's helping you internally. And then we have our next tier team, which would be you as a financial planner. And think about that. I am an expert. You are an expert. I'm going to refer my clients to an expert. You said the same thing. You are not just going to leave it to chance because they need to be taken care of and advised just the way you would advise them. Right. Correct. So that's an opportunity, right? As a financial advisor, as well as for the mortgage brokers, lenders, and the realtors listening, we have to have this strategic partnership because frankly, experts want to work with experts. Right. And know that the client is going to get the same level of service that we want to provide at our firm. And so uh, it's important to have all those processes in place that the client goes through it. Like, I can't tell you how many times that I know I'm the second time I mentioned Tony's name, but I would send somebody to Tony and they'll come back to me and say, that really went well. I'm glad you referred me to him. It's the same thing. Like when you hear that, it's not just filling a need for you and your client, but it's actually adding to how the client feels about you because they know that you're the one that referred them to this person and they have such a great experience with that person. So So let me ask you on this end, because I coach realtors across the country as well. And I tell them that they need to connect with really just expert financial planners. Okay. So Tony, this is just a general question. Tony's going to be like, come after me. So I'm a realtor and I want to meet you. I I know how I would do it, but so I've heard great things about you. I would love to meet with you. How would you agree to meet with me? Meaning if I called you and said, I would love to meet with you, learn more about you and your business, see if we'd be a good fit to refer clients to each other. Would you take that meeting? Probably not. Okay. Uh, I would only take it if you were referred to me by a friend or a client, because then I would feel an obligation to that friend or client, but I wouldn't take it from a random call. Okay. And the other thing I would tell you is I'm a big believer in doing business with people that do business with me. I mean, in every sense of everything I buy, whether it be going to a restaurant, buying clothes, buying cars. Anything that I can buy from a client or a friend is the way I would want to believe in that process. 
So what if I don't know? I mean, let's say really, I'm looking for a financial plan, right? Let's say it's Tony Marklin. Now, again, if I used his name and then I don't mean in using it, like trying to be scheming. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. But like, because ultimately we do need, so I'm just trying to help the realtors out there right now that are like, okay. I need a great financial planner, not only for me, right. but to refer my clients to. I've heard great things about you, right? Like I've heard yeah. Bo Blankenship takes great care of his clients. I need someone that I can connect with. Right. So yeah, I would take that meeting. I would even tell the realtors that you're dealing with now. Like the question would be, if you do have a financial planner now, is that person referring you business? And if they aren't, then I would question, why aren't they? You're doing business with them. Why aren't they doing business with you? Totally agree. Now, here's the question. What if they have 20 realtor clients? Because that's what everyone will say, right? Like, I'm just taking this for them. And this is important because people listening need to form these relationships. So if, yeah. if you have right now, let's say 10 realtors that you can yeah. refer to. Yeah. So you might want to be my financial planner, but you may not have capacity yeah. to refer back to me. Then how does that work? Well, I would tell you that what, the way it should work and the way it would work with me is that I would try to even out the referrals back to those realtors. But I would tell you that based on my experience in in every industry, that there are people in every industry that stand out. Meaning when I send a client to Tony Marklin, they have a different experience even than other potential mortgage brokers that are clients of mine. And so even though, let's say subconsciously, I mean, or let's say hourly, maybe I'm trying to even out my referrals, if I've got an A plus client and I want them to have the best experience, I'm going to always sort of lean back towards Tony because I want them to come back to me and say, that was a great experience. So I would say that if that realtor stands out in their industry, that they're going to get more than their share of referrals. I agree. I mean, it's the same way. Like, let's be honest. If we're going to send our clients to a financial planner, I can't have it be where they're like, he didn't call me back and then he doesn't care about my finances. And no, I mean, again, we all need that expert relationship. For a lot of lenders, you had refi boom, right? So it just kind of like, we joke about this, but the truth is, but so the lenders sort of need the realtors when the market shifts, then the refi boom comes and it's like, where are they at? Like, where are you? Right? Like, <laughs> right. And then all of a sudden the phone right. starts to ring and you're like, oh, refi. <laughs> right. But it's right. sort of that relationships that people used to be, oh, I want to know 200 people just a little bit. And frankly, that's not my model. Mine is I want to know 15 really well. Right. right. I, I want right. some right. deep relationships. But for those people that have never focused on forming them, they have to start somewhere, right? So so that reaching out, so what it's also about what you said was, well, it's through clients as well. So it's also, or relationships you have. So it's talking to my lender and saying, who's your financial? Let's say I called Tony and said, hey, and he said, you got to call Bo, right? Like Bo is the guy. And then that's a way that I, and and, and doing it in an honest intent way, not a, Ooh, I need business. So what I'm going to call Bo and just start getting referrals from him. Yay me. No forming a true relationship and then proving to you why you should refer to me, right? Like part of that meeting is also, this is what I do for my clients. What do you do for yours? Right? Like here's how we stand out right here. I'm 28 years in Charlottesville. I grew up here. Let me go through our process and what makes us different when we work with buyers and sellers. So they, right. And so proving it to you, but I think that understanding the importance of the relationship, which you've demonstrated extremely well, knowing Tony, right. And, and that you have that faith in him is what we all need to do and want to do with our relationships. Yeah. One thing I would tell you, Marjorie, that I think happens is if I meet a realtor or meet anybody in any 
in any business and I meet them at some kind of function and we chat for a few minutes, are they genuine? Are they humble? Do they seem like they work hard at their job? Do I feel like they're just blowing smoke? I mean, I would tell you if I meet somebody and I like them and they seem like a genuine person and then I probably would take a meeting because I like the person. Yes. Right. But I wouldn't take a meeting if they cold called me and said, hey, I'm a realtor in the area and I want to chat with you and I wouldn't take that meeting. Okay. Well, see, that's important to know because everyone's a little different, but I think that there's also the fear, right, of I don't want to make this cold call. I don't like a cold call. So a warm intro to meet you, it would be either through a meeting where we connected or a connection of ours mutually that you have great respect for. But that's That's exactly right. Yeah. Isn't that the way we should do it? Right. Like, I mean, again, if someone's going to meet with you, I mean, a client could cold call you certainly and say, hey, I would like to meet with you to talk about my financial. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, right. <laughs> but I think that's that warm relationship is what we want. And that yeah, trust. So again, yeah. thank you for answering that very honestly, because I yeah. think it's important for people to hear and what an important relationship. Look, what Tony is to you and what you are to him is what yeah. we all strive for. Right. So that's going to continue us, by the way. The opportunity is as the market shift and things get more difficult, our relationships carry us. Yeah, without question, without question. So, and again, I found out I'm interviewing you now because Bobby said, you got to talk to Bo. He is the expert on this. And so there you go. This is how we connect. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And then again, and the math. So anytime I need the math, (laughs) I'm going to call you. (laughs) And now I know the expert realtor in Charlottesville. Yes, you do. You sure (laughs) do. And I would take great care of your clients and I can tell you how. Hey, thank you so much for joining me today on Real Estate Unscripted. Thank you for helping explain some of those factors in the economy that we need to be aware of and paying attention to and how apparently it's going to remain confusing for a while, but that experts and relationships matter. So I thank you. You're a busy man so that you took the time today. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. It's great meeting you and it was great doing this this morning. All right. Well, I look forward to meeting you in person. Yeah, I hope so. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Real Estate Unscripted is sponsored by Alcova Mortgage. Alcova is committed to simplifying the mortgage process. Check out the tools we offer to realtors and homebuyers at alcova.com slash realtors. Alcova Mortgage, equal housing lender, NMLS ID number 40508, NMLSConsumerAccess.org. Before we go, please show us some love by subscribing on your listening platform of choice and leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you share this with your friends and be sure to listen in next week. Until then, this is Marjorie Adam. Don't forget to check out the show notes for a recap. This podcast was made possible by listeners like you. Thank you so much for your support.